Thank you, Ann and Lily. If you have your Bibles, uh, we will be in Acts chapter 4. Uh, you should be aware of that. Uh, and so, uh, while, while you're flipping there, if you're not there yet, uh, I may mention of a couple things. Uh, it's, it's officially what we call a Disciple Now season. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, usually about the Martin Luther King weekend, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend to second week of February is when all the youth groups decide they want to do their Disciple Now weekends. Uh, that's why we haven't seen Luke. Uh, and so Luke is gone again. Uh, he is preaching uh, in Puckett, uh, Mississippi. Uh, he's been there this weekend, and then he's actually preaching, I think, at First Baptist Puckett. Is that right, Lauren, this morning? I just... I just I was going to call it Puckett Baptist Church, but I feel like it has to be the first Baptist. Uh, anyway, but anyway, uh, and so uh, we'll lift him up. Uh, so this morning, I, I kind of want to do some, some housekeeping, if you will. This morning, we're going to finish Acts chapter 4, and then we will take a month off from Acts and say, Justin, what do you think? We're going to take a whole month off, and so uh, let me tell you why. And so we've been headed this way for a little bit. Uh, and, uh, for over a year now of just kind of direction of the church, gospel-driven, and things like that. And so I'm about to ask you, this is my biggest ask to date as pastor, and I've been here for five years, I guess, now, or going into my, I'm in my fifth year, something like that. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, and so uh, biggest ask is this, uh, to, to do all that you can. If you're a member of Cross Point uh, and or desire to be so, to do all that you can to be here for the next four weeks. Uh, and, if you, and if you miss a service, uh, then do all you can to, to make sure you go back and watch the sermon. Because what, what I'm about to ask us all, I'm saying us all to do, uh, is to recommit ourselves to being members of Cross Point, ultimately. Uh, and so we're going to think about it as like a marriage vow renewal. Uh, and, you know, five Five years ago, Ashley's mom and dad uh, had, had a vow renewal service I was able to do. But, you know, at that point, it didn't mean that their marriage before was voided. It's just they're renewing what their commitment to one another and their love for one another, speaking it again. And so uh, there's some things about us as a church that has changed. There's some things about us that we want to clarify. Uh, and what we're going to do is all of us, all of us who are members are going to walk through starting point, if you will. And so I'm going to go ahead and put all my cards on the table. Uh, at the end of that, what I'm expecting is, if you're a member, if you've been a member of Cross Point in the past, uh, and if you still desire want to be a member in the future, is that at that point we will all uh, covenant ourselves to the people of Cross Point. Uh, and so I'm going to so I'm going and putting it on the table so you know what to expect. If you do, and if you desire to be a member of Cross Point, I'm asking you to come in those weeks. And at the end of this series uh, on March the sixth, you will have an opportunity. Uh, to become a church member as well. And so I know it's a hard ask, and we're going to navigate through those things together with, there's going to be some new wording and things like that. But for the most part, uh, we, are re we are recommitting ourselves to being a part of this local body. Uh, and so that's what we're asking you to do. And so then the weeks to come, it'll make more sense as we go. But I'm just going to tell you, cards on the deck, I mean, cards on the table, that's where we're going. And so it don't matter if you were an OG member, like uh, some of our families, or you've been here, you joined six months ago. We're all going to re-up together, if you will, and, and start a new, I, there's two options, really. Uh, I could rather go through our membership role and go have an interview with every member, uh, and that would take four years to do, 
or we could do it corporately together and kind of walk through that together. So I chose that route because I'm lazy and didn't want to, uh, it's good. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do. So that's, that's what's coming up. So we're going to take a month off from Acts to kind of walk through who is Crosspoint. We're going to start from 30,000 foot, what is the church, all the way to who are we. And at the end of that, we will uh, have an opportunity to, to commit to, to God, but also commit to one another. Anyway, let's jump in to the text. And so if you haven't been with us, we, uh, we, we have been walking just through verse by verse through the book of Acts, just kind of open, I'm praying for God to, to speak. And I've been encouraged to hear many stories of people who, who have come to me and said, hey, that sermon last week or the sermon week before spoke to me exactly, like, exactly the place I was at. And that's what's beautiful about just reading and studying God's word is that it, it teaches itself. It, it meets us where we are. We don't have to come up with catchy series and ideas that we just let God's work do its work. Uh, and so I've been encouraged by that. And so uh, we just came off of chapter three, uh, whenever the, the church or uh, Peter and John heal a lame man. And because of that, uh, there was some disruption and they were brought before the Sanhedrin. And for the first time, uh, the church has, has faced resistance from the outside. Uh, the enemy uh, Satan, who obviously doesn't want God to get the glory uh, that he alone is due, nor does he want his gospel to be spread, thought that he could nip it in the bud by this outside persecution, this, this don't talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter looked at the Sanhedrin and said, hey, dude, we can't help it. Like we're going, and so what, what we actually see is that what, meant, what, what, what the enemy meant to, to slow it down actually is going to speed it up. It's actually going to increase, it's going to fan the flame, if you will, inside of them. And what, we're, what we will begin to see when we come back to Acts is the enemy understood that he, he, he wasn't going to have much wind uh, from the outside in, so what he began to do is to attack from within. And so when we get to chapter 5, we'll see the enemy's tactics begin to change, but before we get there... Uh, Luke goes into one of these summary verses, if you will. So just like we saw at the end of chapter 2, we had you know, the, the apostles and the, the Christians waiting, and then the Holy Spirit comes. And then in 2, 42 through 47, we have just kind of a summary of this is what church life looked like. And then chapter 3 begins with this big miracle. Chapter 4 is the Sanhedrin, this, this prayer for boldness and for God to continue to do what he's going to do. And then he has a summary statement of community life again. And so we see this kind of flow that Luke's doing here. So uh, let's read this again. And so Luke, I mean, Acts chapter 4, 32 says, and the full number, yours may say company. Uh, really what it's saying here in the, in, the, in the context is that the number had gotten too big to count. Uh, but they, they were an official, legit group. Some, some people said that it could be uh, fifteen to 20,000 people at this time. John MacArthur said it this way. He said uh, that there was, probably, there was not a pond nor a pool that wasn't being stirred in that area because people were constantly being baptized. The water was constantly moving there. People were coming in masses. And so you have some 15, 20,000 people that we're talking about now. So it says the full number of those who have believed were of one heart and soul or one heart and mind. I'll use the word mind in the, in the sermon, but it says no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And great power, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of uh, the Lord Jesus, and giving and, God, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses, 
sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it all at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, which who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold that field belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The, there, there, there are four marks, but before we get there, I want to make a couple statements. Is What we're seeing happen, and I wish I would have taught on this last week, but to be honest with you, I didn't really I maximized, I used all my time up last week, but in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, Whenever Paul, whenever the believers, Peter and John and the rest of the believers finally make a supplication and it says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your service. Remember, he asked specifically, grant your service, continue to speak your word with boldness. And check out what also they pray in verse 30. So we're asking you to do this for us so that we can continue to speak in boldness and watch his confidence in God. He says, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. And so uh, there's this audacious prayer for confidence and, and, and courage in the midst of this persecution, and while, but they knew that, but while you continue to do what you're going to do. May we as your church, may we as your witnesses uh, be bold, but we're, we're confident that you're going to continue to do what you've been doing. And they understood that, yes, they had to be bold, but it was God that was going to do a work. He will keep on doing what he's going to do. And this is what we see in this text. When God continues to do what he was doing, what he will do is this, is that he will save individual sinners and he will place them in a family of saints who love him and love one another. So when, so when, the, when, the, when they pray, may we continue to be bold while you continue to perform these works, what we see happen at the end of chapter four is he took a bunch of individuals and made them a family. And I'll say it like this. There are two, two effects of knowing Jesus. And I literally could say these two things and be done. Two effects of knowing Jesus that we see in this text. When we come to know Jesus, our heart is loosened in relationship to things. Whenever, whenever we come to know Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus is what satisfies us. And when we find our identity in Christ, we find our purpose in Christ, naturally our heart will be loosened to, the, our, to its relationship to things. I got to have things. This is my stuff. This is what it's all about. Satisfaction in Jesus loosens our relationship to things. But at the same time, knowing Jesus, our heart is tightened in relationship to people. When we come to know Jesus, there are two things that happen that we see in this text. One is that things are not, is not what life is all about. Things just become things. We're connected to people. And the more that we are satisfied in Jesus, the more we walk with Jesus, the more tight our heart will be in relationship to God's people. As a matter of fact, let's look at it. Let's look at the marks of this community life. Uh, if you're taking notes, uh, I'll go ahead and give you all of them real quick in case you missed one. There, there are four marks of community life. First of all, there was, there was unity in heart and mind. Secondly, there was a sharing of their possessions. Third, there was uh, the powerful witness of the apostles. And fourth, is that there were great, the grace of God was upon them. 
That was the, that's the marks, that's the uh, marks of their community life. So if you're taking notes, let's go number one. What was the mark of their, their tight relationship with one another? First of all, uh, verse 32 tells us that they were of one heart and soul, which literally could be uh, translated heart and mind. And so this 15 to 20,000 people, maybe more, maybe less, give or take, who were once strangers, now scripture says that they are of one heart and one mind, that they've come together and ultimately they're of one heart, one mind is speaking to their devotion to the Lord. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the answer to Jesus's prayer in John chapter 17, whenever he prays to the father, this is verse 21, says that they, uh, Jesus prays that his disciples, his followers, that they would be one just as you father uh, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is literally an answered prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father that those who would come to know me, that they would be one. We see it already taking place here in chapter four of Acts is that these people who some of them were pilgrims that came in from, for Pentecost who's decided not to go back home, said, I'm gonna stay here. Now these people are of all one heart and one mind. They're all connected to one another Jesus said that this would be a powerful testimony in John 13. It says, by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But scripture says specifically that they were of one heart and soul or one heart and mind. And so when we think about the word heart here, their hearts, they were one in heart. Literally, they're talking about their affections what they were passionate about, what they delighted in, what they sought after, what they were seeking, what they, where they found satisfaction, there, there was oneness there. That ultimately they, were, they found their hope, they found their love, they found their affections in Christ, but also to one another. So here we, we've, we see the, just a snapshot of the, their everyday community life is that they are one heart. What, what their heart was, was that they, they were affectionate for Christ and they loved one another. But not only was it one heart, but also one mind. Here we're, talk, we're speaking of the intent, the purpose, the, the focus, the thought. So not only in their affections were they they're one in their devotion to Christ, but also what their mindset was, what their intent was, what their purpose was. They were of one mind to worship Christ, to, to serve one another, to, to preach the gospel. And here we have the church in its most pure form that there, there's no division among them at this point. Wouldn't it, I mean, just imagine that, that, Every, every believer that would come in, they, they all loved Jesus. They actually all loved Jesus. <laughs> they got together and they were excited, affectionate about worshiping him. Knowing that they understood their purpose was to glorify him and to spread his kingdom like they were united in heart and mind. They understood the purpose. There was no division they were united in both affection and thought. They were devoted to the Lord and to one another. And here's the deal is that their unitedness, if that's even a word, their unity was deeper than just being in the same presence of one another. That's what I read early in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. 
when Paul writes this, verses 1 through 6, this is, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he starts with the exhortation. So, right, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to, there it is, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Verse four, there is one body and uh, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What we're seeing happen in Acts chapter four is this unity of the spirit that Paul is writing about in Ephesians that by the, the residence, the indwelling and, the, and also the filling of the spirit that God took what otherwise would be strangers and now they're devoted. Now they are in unity in mind and heart. He took otherwise people that would not be at peace and now they're living in unity and harmony with one another. You see, that's the unity that the Spirit brings about. Notice all the ones there, one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. And check out, but how does he start the text? He tells them to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. He, then he tells them to with humility and gentleness and, and patience, bearing with one another. And check this, eager to maintain the unity that the Spirit has already given you. I, I wrote it down like this, that the Spirit creates unity, but we must be eager to maintain it. Because we mess it up. Right? The church... Church gets divided on secondary issues and tertiary issues, which is a fancy way to say the third in line of things, right? Like I had to get people to explain it to me. They're like, there's the primary things that, that the one heart and the one mind, there's the things, there's the closed hand things that, that we rally around, that we're in one heart and one mind. And there's areas outside of that that are secondary that are not as important as those. And there's some out here. What happens is the church begins to operate on these tertiary things. And if we don't agree on these, then we're no longer living in unity with one another. I think it should be this way. I think the preacher should talk about this and not that. I like this music better and et cetera and et cetera. And my, my plea this morning is that maybe, maybe we be eager to maintain the unity of heart and mind and devotion to primary things. Our affection and devotion to Jesus and our affection and devotion to one another. We don't have to agree on all the, the this tertiary things. But when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandments? He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't matter what we write down in our doctrinal statements. Now, listen to me. I'm all about the doctrinal statements that we're going to walk through in this series. But it doesn't matter if we do not love the Lord and love each other. We're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Here's your 1 Corinthians 13, Mike. Like, like the, he, he asked me something about teaching through 1 Corinthians 13. I, I put it in there for you, buddy. Like, it's, it does not matter it doesn't matter, listen to me, watch this. It doesn't matter if we go preach a message of reconciliation while we ourselves are divided. 
That's pretty oxymoronic. Is, can I say that? Is that a word? To actually go and preach a message, preach a series that, or preach something that we ourselves are not displaying. So they were of one heart and one mind. They loved Jesus and they loved one another. Number two, how was this love manifested that inside the community there was sharing their possessions? We see it in a general sense in verse 32 and then a more specific, specific sense in 34 and 35, but let's read this. So they were sharing their possessions. Verse 32, the second part says, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Then jump down to verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and it was laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And then verse 36 gives us a specific example of that. So what we see you know, you have 15, 20,000 people, and they're of all one heart and one mind. They're loving Jesus. They're loving one another, but inevitably needs would arise, right? Inevitably, because you had some, like I've already stated, who were pilgrims that came in for Pentecost. They didn't go back home. They don't have jobs. Then you have some people who at this point are probably already losing their jobs because they are Christians now. So life in itself brought about needs, and I wrote it down like this. When needs arose, so did the church. Whenever the church began to have needs within, those things arose, so did the church. Like I said, it's described in two ways. In, in verse 32, whenever it says that no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common as a fancy way of saying what's mine is yours. The, the relationship to the things have been loosened. And so... If I have a car and you need a car, then it's your car. This wasn't, this, this imagery in verse 32 wasn't that they were going to sell things. It literally was, what's mine is yours. I tell people all the time, what's mine is yours, except for my wife and my kids. And that's the picture is that it is, what's mine is, so if you're down and I've got something you need, then it's yours. Uh, and it's a picture of, of how they took care of each other. They, they, and it's actually in an imperfect. So this was a continuous action that, that ultimately that the part of their community life was that what's mine is yours. We, they took care of each other. If you're, if you're struggling at one place, then I'm going to come in and I'm going to help you out there. And I'm going to provide this. And if you need this, then I've got it. That kind of it. So that's one way that they were sharing their position, uh, possessions. And this was, a, this was an ordinary, continual thing in their life. But in verse 34 and 35, it actually says that some people, if there was a needy person and then some of the owners of lands and houses would actually go sell their possessions so that they could raise money to help somebody out. So this is more of an extraordinary, like you have the ordinary just taking care of them. Sometimes there were instances like Barnabas that they would actually go sell their land. And so I want to make a couple of things very clear here. This is not a result of being obedient to some kind of legisl legislation that the apostles passed. There was not a rule that they had to go sell their stuff. Like it wasn't like we had this idea, oh, this is socialism. No, this is, there is no rule from the top up from the authority that says, all right, if you're going to be a part of this, then go sell everything so everybody has everything in common. This was not an order for them to do. They did it voluntarily. 
as they were led by the Spirit. Because matter of fact, if you keep reading the book of Acts, there, were, there was Christians who still owned homes. There were people who still had possessions. They had land. They didn't, there wasn't an interest to get into the church. Why did she go sell everything? But when needs arose, they said, these things, just, I'm, not, I'm not held by my possession. My possessions don't possess me. And so therefore, I would get rid of these in a drop of a hat if that means it would help you out. They were voluntarily. I hadn't written this down to this morning, but it was marked by humility. For the one who would give and for the one who would sell. Because ultimately, I think their view of one another and our view of one another should be in light of how we see ourselves in Christ and understanding that, you know, I have no reason to be prideful. Like the more that I know Jesus, the more I'm aware of myself, less room for pride. So there's a humility aspect of I'm not preoccupied with serving my own agenda. So therefore, I can have time to actually think about my brother and love my brother. So there's humility on one side of the giver and the seller, but Lord spoke to me this morning, but also the receiver. That, and I see this in churches a lot, is that I'm broken, I'm messed up, I don't, ha- I don't have money to pay my bills, or I don't have it all together. But because of insecurity, which is actually masked as pride, we're not humble enough to go, all right, can you help me? We don't think we can actually bring our needs to the table and the Lord would hear us and the church would actually receive us. And so what you see is a mutual humility to where at one side there were people who, these are not mine, so I'm going to sell them or give them away or, or, or share them. And then the other side was, I'm in, I'm in need. I know where I can go to get help. And they were, they were willing because they were of one heart and one mind that they knew that they could go to that place and not receive ridicule, not get beat down, not get struck down, but actually be welcomed and received by these brothers. Why? Because they were of one heart and one mind. They knew that their, their brothers and sisters would receive them. They knew that their brothers and sisters would help them. So therefore, I need help. I'm going there. Man, that's a beautiful picture of the church. We have such a twisted view that this place is a place that you got to have it all together. That we have to check those things at the door. No, this is the place to run them and drop them at the altar. Like this is the place to come into and say, I'm broken and messed up. I'm not getting it today. Let me go to a place that there's going to be, I know that there's a father in heaven that says, come on some, but there's going to be brothers and sisters that put their arms around me and say, I got you. Like this is the place to go. This is the place to go to not have it all together. This is the place to go to go, I'm, I'm hungry. Where can I eat? Where can I find food? I'm thirsty. Where can I find something to drink? Amen. Like this is like this is what we're seeing here. It's like there's a humility that works both ways. They were such one heart and one mind that they knew that it was my responsibility to take care of someone else. But also, man, if I'm struggling, I know where to go. Right? Man, that's my prayer for Cross Point is that. And we become a place, and we have been, thankfully. I'm thankful for the, for the, for the, for the history of Crosspoint and, and, and just who we've been as a church, that this has been a place that you can come and, and feel welcomed and not have it all together. But what happens is, is a lot of times 
we come in that way, then what happens is a lot of times for, us, for some of us, we become what we didn't want to be in the first place. Right? We become the, our small groups can become the Sunday school that we left. Is that too much? Is that too much? We get so, we get so churched, if you will, that we lose sight of people and we lose sight of one another. And listen to me, and I'm not pinning these together because they can't be pinned together because we're going to see it here. We get so focused on the outsider that we forget about loving the insider. They're not, those are not pinned together. I'm not pinning those together, but we got to remember that while we're called to reach the lost, we're also called to love and serve one another. I got to keep moving. They're sharing their possessions. It's the fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, when it says, there will be no poor among you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're actually being able to fulfill what God had told the Israelites back in Deuteronomy. And it's a beautiful picture. Powered by the Holy Spirit, they, took, they were able to take care of one another. They were able to love their God and love their neighbor. John MacArthur said it like this. So intent were they on meeting each other's needs that they had no concern for gratifying their own desires. Theirs was the humility stemming from seeing themselves in relationship to Jesus and, and others as more important than themselves. Second, they were focused beyond themselves to reaching the lost world with the truth of the gospel that left them little time to bother with trivial personal matters. Their unity stemmed from focusing on those priorities. Jesus had left them selflessly loving one another and reaching the lost world. They were one heart and one mind. And I wrote this down, a great way to maintain unity. Remember, be, be eager to maintain unity. A great way to maintain unity and humility is to serve someone else. That's just a practical advice. Go serve somebody. Number three, third quality or third mark of their, their community was the, was the powerful witness of the apostles. Specifically, their testimony of the resurrection from the dead. So you have this 15, 20,000 people who are now of one heart and one mind. What's mine is yours. I'll go sell my house if you need something. But at the same time, the apostles continue to preach. Same time, the apostles continue to preach the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the very thing that they were told not to. They kept witnessing of what they seen and heard. It specifically says that, uh, verse 33, in great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. So their testimony to the resurrection of the dead. Remember what they told Sanhedrin? We can't help but speak of the things we've seen and heard. I can't keep my testimony at bay. That's what they're saying. What I've seen and heard, I can't, I can't shut my mouth about that. So all this cool stuff's going on with the church. They're loving each other, but the, the apostles still keep, couldn't keep their mouth shut of their testimony. Their testimony of the things that they had seen and heard. They kept speaking. They kept sharing it of the, the power of Christ raising from the dead. It's actually in the perfect tense as well. So they were continually doing this. This was the answer to the prayer in verse 29, whenever he says, Lord, grant to your servants boldness to continue to preach the gospel or to preach your word. What we see here is that the opposition that actually fueled the flame of their passion to witness for Jesus. 
says that great power was on the apostles as they shared. There was the anointing of the Spirit as they began to speak and open their mouths. They were preaching. It was their testimony. Why was this so powerful? Because they had personally witnessed the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So it's a marker of being an apostle, capital A, apostle. Because that was their biggest preaching point of he's resurrected from the dead. And I wrote it down as a note, and it'd be in small group stuff, but what's your testimony? What's Maybe, obviously, you didn't physically see Jesus raised from the dead, but your heart has felt the, the power of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. What is your testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your own life? I wrote down, practice sharing your testimony to someone this week. Why is it so powerful? Like I said, because you've witnessed the power of the resurrection in your own life. Maybe not with your eyes, but in your heart and mind and life. But the other thing that I see in this text is it doesn't say they were preaching anything else. They were just preaching the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And what happened? Gospel centrality created a culture of grace within the people of God. Jesus raised from the dead. The people love each other even more. Jesus raised from the dead. They start selling houses so people, there wasn't like five steps, quick fixes that they were, they were literally preaching the gospel and the church was being the church and loving one another and sharing the gospel outside the walls. Number four, the fourth marker of their community was that the grace of God was upon them. Verse 33b. Um, says, and with great power, the apostles were given the testimony of the resurrection, of their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It was upon them all, not just the apostles, but the whole fellowship, the grace rested upon them. Some people say that this was like grace with the outsider, like they found favor with people. And some people believe it's actually specifically God's grace. God's favor was upon them. I tend to go that side because I believe this, a church that commits to these two things, loving unity and evangelistic zeal will have the grace of God resting upon them. That's what we see in this church, Acts 4 church, is that they, they were dedicated to loving unity within the body. But also they had an evangelistic zeal to preach the good news. And as a result of that, God's grace rested upon them. And that's my prayer for us, is that we will commit to one another, that we will love, we will be of one heart and one mind. And at the same time, have an evangelistic zeal like we've never had before. And I pray that the God, grace of God will rest upon us. Yes, individually, but corporately, that when we gather together, that with the grace of God is resting upon us. And as we go, that the grace of God is resting upon us. There's one thing that I failed to mention. If you look in verse 35, after they would go sell their possessions, it says they would lay it 
at the apostles' feet. Some people, you know, here going, are they, is the, the apostle the supreme authority here? No, what the picture is, is that the apostles represented God. Well, easy way to understand is that the apostles were the one that were in charge of distributing the proceeds. So where do you take, where do you take that? You take it to the people who are going to distribute it. But the, the picture of laying it down at their feet is the picture of, I am surrendering this, I'm giving this to the one that these guys represent. This is not mine. I'm going to lay it down here at their feet and trust them where it needs to go and what it needs to do. So there's a, probably a giving sermon somewhere in that, but I'm not going that route this morning. You're welcome. But that's the picture is that they're, they're laying it down saying, this is not mine. It's the Lord's. I'm submitting it. That's that picture there. And then he ends this section with a, an example of Barnabas, who was one who sold his stuff, brought it to the apostles' feet. And I never realized this this week, but really our chapter and verse breakdowns in our English Bible messed this up because actually verse 32 all the way to chapter 5, verse 11 is all one thought. Because what it does, it paints a backdrop of this church who loves one another, of one heart, one mind, the Spirit's there, grace of God is upon them. And here's a positive example named Barnabas. And then there's the other example of Ananias and Sapphira who are doing it in another context. And so when we get back, we get to deal with God striking, who somebody struck down Ananias and Sapphira. We got to figure out who that is. So that's in a month from now. But contextually, the, the picture of that setting is set up with where we are this morning. Here was the community life. No one was made to do this. It was a voluntary thing. It wasn't done to be seen. Example A, Barnabas. Negative example, Ananias. Anyway, we'll get there next week. So it ends with that good example. And this morning, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know what you're walk what you came in here dealing with or what answers you're trying to find but I know one who does and he says if you come to me I will receive you as children and so no matter what your doubt is and here's hey the, the older I get the more thankful I am that when Jesus saves me he also transfers me into the kingdom. And inside that kingdom, there are other people. <laughs> like The older I get and the more I do life, right? I'm thankful for the people of God that call me out when I need to be called out. Thankful for the people of God who love on me when I need to be loved. Like I'm thankful that, that God in his wisdom and foreknowledge knew that the church would be a great place for, the, for Christians to be. Like, like, I'm thankful for that, right? Like, I'm thankful that he can unite us with people who otherwise be strangers and give us one heart and one mind. That he can give us the same affections and the same love when it comes to Christ and to, to his church. Like, man, we, we, we sell ourselves short when we isolate ourselves from the people of God. And I'm not saying that like, you don't go to church. No, I'm saying you are doing a disservice to yourself in your own relationship with the Lord because the gift of God's church to the church.
And I pray that of all the things that separate us and all the things that make us different from one another, that God would bring us to a place of one heart and one mind. And hey, I'm thankful we're already a church that when troubles arise, so does the church. And we do, we do like, we are great. But I pray that we, we get better at it. I pray that we get more urgent to do it. Right? Like, yesterday's, com- yesterday's success is today's complacency, tomorrow's failures. I think that's what a wise person once said. We get complacent with what we used to be. We become a, a monument to the past why God's called his church to be a movement into the future. Right? Like, may we keep preaching the gospel. I urge you to share your, share your story because it's powerful. And may you join me in praying that the grace of God will rest upon us to strengthen us and empower us. I know I got on a tangent just then. I think I started with, if you come to Jesus, he will receive you. Is God drawing your heart this morning? You can know a lot about if you know Jesus or not, if you have any affection for him. Like that's, how do I know if I know Jesus? Do you have any affection for him? Because the Holy Spirit, when he takes a residence, he will turn your affections towards Jesus. You still have to, you'll, I mean, your flesh will fight it. <laughs> 100%. Do you have affections for Jesus? Do you have affections for his people? If there is no desire for Jesus, there's a great chance that the Holy Spirit is not resident within you. You call upon his name. He will save you and bring you into this beautiful thing called the church. Man, it's good. It's good. I'm going to be quiet because I can talk about this about 45 more minutes. But I think, I'm hoping that's encouraging to somebody this morning. I hope that you didn't hear me get on to you for not coming to church, blah, blah, blah. What I'm saying is, don't sell yourself short. Don't miss out on blessings that God's given us on this side of eternity, because this is one of them. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the example of the early church. God, in 2022, whenever there are so many options of how church should be and how church ought to be, God, we thank you that we can turn to your scripture and see a group of people who are probably not the most organized or the cleverest, but they are of one heart and one mind. They loved you supremely, and they loved one another. They had an evangelistic zeal to share this good news, and there was a culture of grace because of the gospel. May we be that church. May we be those people. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, who has their heart hasn't been changed, their affections haven't been changed, God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit will draw them that the Holy Spirit would anoint their eyes so that they could see Christ and trust in him. We thank you for the promise of scripture that 
all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So God, I pray that the one who is filling your invitation to believe will understand if they call, you will answer. That you will save. God, help us be a church of one heart and one mind. Of our affections, our thoughts. Help us be a place that is just a culture of grace for the sinner and the saint. God, give us boldness to speak and to share about the things you've done in our life. And pray for your grace to rest upon us. It's in Christ's name. Amen.